close, close to your side. Heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one.
comes out of your mouth. As we begin to say the mountains shake before you, demons literally run and flee at the name of Jesus. Every oppressive spirit, every demonic spirit, every attack upon your family or your finances, whatever it may be, when you praise his name, when you praise his name, when you put your eyes on Jesus, when you put your eyes on Jesus, those mountains will bow down at his feet. Those demons will run and flee. I want you to lift your voice with authority because how many know as a child of the king, you have authority. You have the blood of Jesus covering your life and you have the authority of the most high God to say in the name of Jesus, demons must flee. I want you to lift your voice right now and begin to proclaim it because at the mention of his name, there is freedom. shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of your the Lord all over this room come on just worship him he alone is worthy worthy is the Lamb of God worthy is the Lamb of God we magnify you Lord we praise you Jesus alone none other beside thee thou alone art worthy thou alone art worthy Praise God. Come on, let's give a clap offering to the Lord. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate. He alone is worthy. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. I want everybody in this room, I want you to lift up your voice. Come on, I want you to just declare His praise. Come on, lift up your lift up your voice make a noise of praise before the Lord for the Lord is good hallelujah please everyone find the scriptures and turn to John chapter 3 thank you choir and worship arts department and God bless you for your obedience in the Lord's tithe and offerings
John chapter 3, everyone standing in honor of God's holy word. Amen. As you're finding John chapter 3, just a reminder of our times of prayer. They're listed in the Sunday bulletin, and we want you to be a part of the corporate times of prayer. Monday morning prayer at 5.30 is powerful. As I told you last Sunday, the week before, we had announced free breakfast for everybody that showed up, and it was, it was just crazy how many people showed up. Amen. If I've got any volunteers that would like to buy breakfast tomorrow, we'll, we'll announce that. Amen. But otherwise, we're going to pray. Amen. And then I do want you here tonight. I've asked that they not have children's church tonight because of the illustrated sermon. And so the whole family will be here, but God's given me a message because as I look at our world, everything is upside down. So many things, and so many things associated with Christmas, where Jesus ought to be, Santa Claus has taken the place. I might get started early, amen. I'm telling you, there's some things going to come down tonight, and some things going to be righted tonight. And we're going to get focused for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to celebrate Jesus. Amen? John chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. One of the most read, in fact, verse 16 is considered the most quoted and referred to verse of all the scriptures, of all Christian scriptures. And everyone pretty well knows it by heart. But beginning with verse 14... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever, everybody say whosoever. Aren't you thankful? That included us. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. How many are thankful that you have believed and that you're saved this morning? Amen. We celebrate that Jaden's in the presence of Jesus. She knew Jesus, loved Jesus. Amen. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest. That they are wrought in God. You may be seated. How many have ever heard the old adage, a picture is worth a thousand words? Raise your hand. All over this room. Well, it is an old familiar adage, but there's a lot of truth to that adage. The big picture of Christmas is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. Amen? The one that came to redeem us from our sins. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the scripture says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth Jesus into this world. At just the right time in hu human history, when everything was in order, when, uh, when it, the world literally, spiritually was at its darkest point, Jesus came. 
And God knew that exact timetable. God knew that exact time frame when Jesus needed to come. Timing is everything. Everything had to come together in human history, and in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. He came to be God's plan of salvation, to fulfill all the types, the shadows, to fulfill all that the Old Testament was predicting concerning, yes, Isaiah's hope. He came to fulfill the scriptures, and he became the sacrificial lamb of God. The big picture, the picture that we need to look at this morning, man was lost. Man needed a savior. You know, there's a lot of pictures this season of the year that warm the hearts and, uh, and just touch our lives in different ways. The particular card that I read to you from Devane McGee in Africa was hand-painted by some of the uh, Liberian people there. And it's a beautiful card. And you look at the different pictures. You look at the story of, of, uh, of Jesus coming and uh, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And I saw a picture of the manger scene uh, this week and, and how special that was to look at that picture and to, uh, to know that represented our Christ. To look at another picture I saw this week of the angels overlooking the Judean hillside and, and singing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill. Uh, what a beautiful picture. Picture of wise men bowing in worship when they came and found the Christ child uh, in a home, maybe upwards of two years later. Pastor John passed our manger scene on the interstate, a beautiful manger scene there that was hand-painted. And uh, he sent me a, a message and he said, uh, Pastor, we've got a theological problem with our manger scene. I, sent him, I texted him back and I said, well, what is that? And he said, well, the wise men are presented in the manger worshiping Jesus. And they didn't go to the manger scene or the stable scene. And I sent him back, John, we all know that. But that's putting the story together. And uh, he was just trying to make sure we were presenting a proper theological response to the Christmas story. But it is a wonderful picture. As thousands of people drive down Interstate 10 and they see that lit manger scene, it's a wonderful picture. Christmas is all about Jesus being born. When the word Christmas comes to mind, it ought to cause you to reflect on the fact Jesus came to us. Amen? When we could not get to heaven, when we could not get to God, Jesus came to us. The big picture, number one, of God is found in verse 16 of John chapter 3. And I want everybody to look at it. John chapter 3, verse 16. The big picture of God. God is a God of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christmas screams at us the love of God. When we think of Christmas, the big picture of Christmas, God's love in sending Jesus. Verse 16 is probably the best known, as, as I said, uh, scripture and recited scripture. But the whole purpose was to reveal why he came, was to reveal that God loved mankind. I was reading in some theology books this week, and it said the Calvinist emphasized the role of God in these verses. The Armenians stress that whosoever, indicating human freedom and will. As I thought about the Calvinist thought process and the Armenian thought process, I thought, well, to put both of those together. 
because verse 16 is, yes, about God initiating the process, God loving mankind, God, uh, the big picture of God loving the world that he gave Jesus. That whosoever, it declares freedom of choice. That we have the opportunity that any man, no matter where they are in life or where they are in the world, the gospel is a whosoever gospel. And so I believe the Calvinists and the Armenians have it right in verse 16. Although they differ so uh, differently in their thought processes, I'm here to declare it's all about God loving mankind and mankind accepting that love. Amen. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want everybody to go over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. God is the initiator. He is considered the principle in the plan of salvation. You see, salvation did not originate with mankind. Who could have ever thought up a wonderful story like Christmas? Who could have ever planned uh, the amazing grace of God loving the world so much that he sent his son? There is a Greek school of philosophy and thought, and it's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism portrays God as a self-centered, angry God wanting to destroy mankind. I'm telling you, friends, that is anything but the picture portrayed in verse 16. For God so loved the world. I'm telling you, at the heart of Gnosticism, is that God is angry and God wants to destroy. But I'm telling you at the heart of Christianity, for God loved this old world, amen, that he gave Jesus. I want everybody to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. What does verse 8 say? Say, for God is love. Look at verse 9. In this was manifest the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Do you understand that God wants you to live through the coming of his son into this world? Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Somebody say amen. Point number two, and I want you to go back to John 3.16. Another part of the big picture that I see in John chapter 3, in these verses of our text, is the big picture of those that believe. Charles Spurgeon preached a Christmas message that I read this week, and it was entitled, Unto Us. It was taken from Isaiah's hope, chapter 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Jesus came to us. When you could not approach him, when you could not get to him, when you could not find him, he came to us. Amen? That was the heart and the message of what Charles Spurgeon preached so many years ago as a Christmas message. Jesus came so that men could believe on him. I want you to look at verse 14 of John chapter 3. All of this started falling in place in my mind, and I've never thought about this in this light till this week, as I was pondering this passage. 
But as, as we look at verse 16, we're talking about the love of God and God sending Jesus. But to lay the foundation for the love of God, Jesus goes back in the scriptures and he reminds of an Old Testament illustration in the book of Numbers. When Israel was in the wilderness wandering and they were wandering in the wilderness and they tended to sin. And because of their sin, they failed God so miserably that God judged them in a very unusual manner. Israel had sinned. And you go back and you read the account, they were traveling from Egypt all the way to the promised land. Now, in traveling, we all like a direct route. We like to get there generally as soon as we can without a lot of delays. That's just American nature. But do you know that when Israel went from Egypt to the promised land, God did not take them the most direct path. In fact, he let them wander and he took them different routes for a purpose. And as I was studying that this week, I looked at one of the commentaries and it said that some of the places that they literally wandered or they marched, the sand was very loose sand. And it compared it to the sand out here on our beach. You know, if you walk next to the water itself or to the, the ocean, the sand is more compact because of the water. And so it's firmer. And you'll tend to see joggers jogging on that portion of the sand that's still wet. And you'll see bicyclers riding their bikes. You'll see uh, people generally walking. You, the further you get away from the water, the less compacted the sand is. And it becomes very loose. And even at a point that it becomes very hard to walk in in some areas as the looser it gets. And it talks about that a certain portion of the wandering of Israel through the wilderness was on loose sand just like that. That every step was a struggle. And it was like you were in ankle deep or, 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 or even a little deeper sand and you just struggled. Can you imagine being 40 years walking in difficult sand? What would the human element, what would the human nature want to do? After about 10 minutes of that, God, I don't like this sand. Am I telling the truth? Not only did they walk on some real loose sand for a certain portion of their travel, there were other times they had to walk on gravelly, where rough rocks. And when we were, we were in Israel, there were some places that literally hurt your feet. The rock was so uh, treacherous and so hard, and they had... For 40 years they're walking in this. You think after about two days of that, there wasn't some discontent going on? Listen, friends, I, I, we're headed somewhere. Jesus laid the groundwork with this when he started talking about the love of God, and he talked about the failure of mankind. And he talked about the element among us to commit sin and to begin to murmur and complain. We have served up an American version of Christianity that says you can have it your way. That you can just be, you can be comfortable and you can have it your way and, and, and uh, everything is good between you and God. We forgot the part about sacrifice. We forgot about the part of, of dedication and consecration that we can't have a Burger King religion, have it our own way. Amen? There is an element that when we're following God, we may walk on some loose sand. There is a time that we may walk on some uh, areas where uh, there's, no, there's no food and water. And it says in verse 14, Israel began to murmur and complain. 
to the point they complained against Moses and they complained against God and God said, okay, because of your sin, look at verse 14. Fiery serpents in the wilderness tested them and Moses had to lift up a brazen serpent in the wilderness. And everyone that looked at that brazen serpent believed in that brazen serpent, they lived. What happened to the people that did not look at the brazen serpent? They did not believe in the type. They did not believe in the shadow. They did not believe in what Moses was doing. The Bible shows us very clearly they died. But Jesus is giving a point here when he says, God so loved the world that every man that believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The big picture is, sir, you've got to believe. Mama, you've got to trust Jesus. You've got to turn your heart over to the Lord. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you to think what the grace of God has done in your life where you were before salvation and what was going on in your life, the moment you believed and the moment you began to confess with your mouth, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen? Look at verse 15 and 16 now. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is the reward of believing? It's eternal life. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now I want us to look thirdly at the big picture of not believing. John 3, 14. The people were bitten. They died if they did not believe. Now look at verse 15. The big picture of not believing, everybody say the word perish. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Look at verse 16. Uses that same word again. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Look at verse 17. People are condemned who do not believe. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Look at verse 18. People who don't believe are condemned. Look at verse 19. This is the condemnation that men love darkness. I'm telling you, there is a penalty for not believing. Amen? Verse 20, you do evil. You hate the light. Your deeds are reproved by the light. Now, I want everybody to go over to 1 John chapter 3. We're headed somewhere very quickly here. 1 John chapter 3, I want everybody to see this. Everyone turning in the scriptures, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Look at verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Look at verse 8 now. He that committeth sin is of the devil, 
That word committeth in the Greek means to practice habitually. It's not talking about a one-time sin. It's talking about a lifestyle, a regular practice of sin. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Look at verse 8. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Can somebody say amen? Romans chapter 3, everyone turning in the scriptures. I'm telling you, there's a penalty for not believing, and there's a blessing for believing. Amen? Romans 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now go over to chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now go back to chapter 5, verse 8. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Go over to Luke chapter 16 now. We're coming to a close. But God has something for us this morning. Luke chapter 16, I want everybody looking at verse 19. Everyone in this sanctuary and those watching by television right now. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate, full, his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell the rich man lifted up his eyes. The rich man was not in hell because he was rich. Does everybody understand that? It was because he did not believe. He did not believe in Christ. He did not believe in the plan of God of salvation trusting in God's plan of eternal redemption. The beggar was not in Abraham's bosom because he was poor. Just the inverse, friends. It's all about the heart condition. And in hell the rich man lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember thou that in thy lifetime you received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that, they may test, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. I want you to look at these verses. The rich man in hell was conscious. He was in torment. He was thirsty. He was concerned. He was remorseful. 
He believed at that point, but it was too late. Did you hear what I said? He believed at that point, but it was too late. He wanted his loved ones evangelized. He wanted his loved ones reached for the gospel's sake. I want everybody to take out those cards that were given to you. I want you to hold these cards in your hand. How many know an unsaved person? I want you to raise your hand. How many know an unchurched person? I'm telling you, December faith, this second part, is about saving faith. A lot of books have been written about hell. A lot of videos have been produced. You know that we do the drama every year, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Videos have been produced about the reality of suffering in hell. I'm about to show you a four-minute clip that I, I believe, friends, needs to stir our hearts. When we begin to think about our own families, our own children, our grandchildren, our loved ones, our neighbors who are not ready to meet God. And they're not believers. He that believeth not is condemned already. But he that believeth in the Lordship of Jesus claims the Lordship over their life is saved. Amen? I want you to watch this video. Go again. Charging at 300. Clear. We got her. She's back. Go again. Charging at 300. Clear. We got her. She's back. You're not gonna die.
to tell you, friends, Steve Hill told me, not the last time he was here, but the time before, he said, preachers need to preach about eternal damnation. The last time he was here, he said, you know, one of the things that I see across America, he said, there are absolutely no churches reminding people of eternity without Christ, a place of eternal damnation. It's not enough to do a drama one time a year. There is a place for people who do not believe. And it is not a place that God prepared for mankind, but he prepared for the devil and his angels. God is not willing that any should perish. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And friends, if, if there's a spiritual need in your life and you know that this morning, I want you to come to this altar right now. I want you to move from where you're standing. There is a spiritual need in your life. I want you to make your way to this altar. Come on, right now, from where you're at. Come on, move from where you're standing. God's not willing, so much so, that he sent Jesus in the fullness of time. We can't play games in church. We can't come and think things are going to be right. We've got to know that he lives in our heart. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Amen. What about it, young person? What about it, mom? What about it, dad? If things are not right in your life, you need to make peace with God. You need to accept the sacrifice. You need to accept the love of God this morning. I'm telling you. Our world needs to know that those that do not believe, there is eternal damnation. For those that do not believe, we need revival in America. And if you don't know the Lord, if things are not right in your life, if there's a spiritual need, I encourage you to move from where you're standing. You do not need to go into eternity without the assurance that Jesus is Lord. Amen. God bless you. Keep coming. Amen. If there's a spiritual need, I want you to make your way to this altar. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If there's a spiritual need in your life, friends, this is serious. This is serious business. There is a place of torment. In fact, Jesus three times in ten verses in Mark said it is a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched it is a place of eternal suffering and God one month ago put it in my heart on this Sunday to preach this message about his love and to share that video because I believe friends the church needs to be awakened in this hour. We've got loved ones that are not ready. We've got family members that this Christmas season, they don't need another family party. They need to get saved. Amen? You can have family parties and never the gospel touch their heart and life. And we need to get our loved ones right before it's too late. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back soon. If you've got a spiritual need, I invite you to come. Come on, move. I'm not going to hold this open more than about another minute. But if there's a spiritual need, I want you to come right now. Come on. Come up in the balcony.
I want every person that has a loved one that's not right with God, I want you to come stand in their behalf right now. Every person that has a loved one that's not right with God, I want you to come stand in their behalf. We're going to weep. We're going to cry. We're going to pray. My love has been revealed to my creation. I gave you Jesus. I sent my only son. Herein is the love of the Father made manifest. He came. He was clothed in human flesh and he walked among you. I revealing my love to mankind. I love you with an everlasting love. But you must believe. You must believe and then you must receive and confess. And I am calling you this morning. I am longing for you to accept my plan of salvation. Will you not open your heart? Will you not see salvation come to your house? So that as for you and your house, you may serve the Lord. Call unto me while I am near. Surely I come quickly. My reward is in my hand, and I am coming to judge between those that believe and those that believe not. I tell you yet once again, I am coming soon. Be ye ready. I stand at the door. Come on, won't you lift your hands? I want us to pray for lost loved ones right now. I want everybody in this room, if you've got children, family members, friends, They've lost the touch of God. They're prodigals. They're wayward. They're drifting. I want to tell you, the Holy Ghost wants to light a fire here this morning. It'll cause America revival in this hour. Oh, God, visit our nation. God, save our children. Save our loved ones. Family members that have got off track. Family members that, Lord, are walking in the world. Oh God, draw them by your Holy Spirit. I pray that this Christmas season, oh Lord, we can plant, God, such a powerful truth. The truth that will set our loved ones free. The truth that will bring them, oh God, out of darkness and out of, Father, an eternity that's headed without Christ. Oh God, I pray that our loved ones will know the saving knowledge of Jesus. Oh God, be merciful to our children. Be merciful to our families. Oh God, hear our prayer. Jesus, stir your church. Jesus, stir your church. Jonathan Edwards read his sermon. 
He leaned over and he read his sermon to the people, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And people began to weep their way to salvation and revival broke out across America. I'm telling you, friends, it's not about the oratory skills. It's about the anointing of the Holy Ghost to prick men's hearts and to see that there's an eternity and that Christmas is about God loving man so much to give Jesus to this world. I want you to slip your hands up all across this room and I want you to thank Him for His love. Come on. Thank Him for His love. Thank Him that He's redeemed you. Amen. The love of God manifest in your heart. The love of God manifest in your life. He's redeemed us. Hallelujah. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you that, God, you loved us when we were unlovable. You're concerned about our loved ones as you were concerned about us. Lord, grip us with eternity. Grip us with the thoughts, oh God, that need to stir us, Lord, out of lethargy and apathy for the lost. Help us, oh God, to evangelize the lost this week. Help us to evangelize the unchurched. Come on, let's sing, sing this song and surrender to the Lord.
1.2 million people in this city, 700,000 in this city, do not have a church affiliation at all. I want everybody to slip up your hands and I want us to pray over the lost right now. I want us to pray over the lost. Come on, the unchurched. Friends, this is what we're called to do. This is our anointing. This is our gifting. This is what we're here for. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just claim that, God, you're going to use Evangel Temple. And that, Lord, we pray that your anointing will rest upon us. That the Spirit of God will enable us, Father, to be witnesses this week. Father, the unchurched of this city, the wayward of this city, the backsliders of this city. Lord, I pray that your anointing would so rest upon us that, God, we can share our faith and share the gospel, share the love of God. God, with those that we come in contact with this week, in the name of Jesus, we're believing you for revival in the city and a mighty manifestation of your spirit. Oh, Lord, have your way. Breathe upon us the breath of God. Let revival break out across this city in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this one more time. Everybody. She went. Jesus, breathe with me. Lord, have your way. invite we can love as you love Lord let your love flow through our hearts to those that are unchurched to those that are backslidden to those that are not ready to stand before you in judgment we know that you're coming soon and Lord I pray revive that work in our own heart as we read from first John this hope that we have purifies us it causes us to work it causes us to serve it causes us to live in such a manner that we have experienced your love and will show that to a lost world in Jesus name and everybody said amen 
I want you to hug somebody's neck. God bless you. You're dismissed. Be back for the service tonight. Amen.